Hello and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, January 20th, 2023. I'm Mike Shopley. All right, big end of the week show, a big Friday show. How's everyone doing? <clears throat> big Friday show. You know what today is? You know what January 20th is? This is the two-year anniversary of the Bush, the Bush, two-year anniversary of the Biden administration. This is the exact halfway point of the Joe Biden term. First and only term for Joe Biden. And I think it's gone incredibly slow. It's gone incredibly slow. It's hard to believe it's only been two years that Joe Biden's been president. It feels like Joe Biden's been president for 10 years. And what's so depressing is we have to go through exactly what we went through again. Two years down, two years to go. Exactly two more years to go. Oh, boy. It's going to be a long haul, people. It's going to be a long freaking haul. I mean, really, though, I think this two years has felt like a full term. I can't believe it's only half a term. But it is what it is. This is the two-year anniversary of the Biden administration, halfway through the term. And um, it's just a total unmitigated disaster. And that so much has gone wrong for the last two years. That's why it feels much longer than just two years, because so much has gone wrong. Really, so much has gone wrong. You know, everything's gas has gone what from two dollars a gallon to five. You know, inflation's gone from one and a half to eight and a half. The economy's been destroyed. The stock market's gone down. People don't want to work anymore. Small businesses are, are, are crushed. Crime is through the roof. So, so much has happened in just two years' time to make it seem like it's so much longer. And also, I guess what also makes it seem like longer than just half a term is that this is the second press secretary. It's, 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 it's normal for like a press secretary to last maybe two years, right? The first half. But this, the, his first press, uh, press secretary didn't even last two years. She was gone well before the halfway point. Uh, because she got a job with MSNBC. So it, it, now that he's on his second pe- press secretary, we're only at the two-year mark. It makes it seem a little bit longer. And, you know, Jean-Pierre is, 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 is truly – she's a moron, and she really is. She's, she's probably the worst press secretary I've ever seen in my life. Now, I should say, you know, people are saying, oh, yeah, but look at Trump. He didn't even – he didn't even have this. He took it away and a year into it. He didn't even have these daily press conferences. He shut the media out. Well, let me tell you something. I remember when Donald Trump did this, when they decided they weren't going to have. Now, of course, a big difference, a big difference, which makes it so easy, so much easier for a press secretary, for a Democratic president, because 90 percent of the people in that room are on their side. Where if you're a Republican press secretary, 90 percent of the people are against you. It's so much easier to be a press secretary for a Democrat president. Then Republican president, still, she can't handle it. She cannot handle it. But I remember when Trump, when they stopped that, when the Trump administration stopped the, uh, stopped the press conferences. I remember that, the daily press briefings. And, and an extreme liberal Democrat, Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC, said he was fine with that. Because he said, I mean, Lawrence is a guy who's been on TV for a long time, but he was also in politics for a long time, especially in the 90s. And he said that they are pointless. 
no matter who the president is, no matter what party's in power, those press conferences are pointless because it's basically however long it is, a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour of spin. You're not going to get any real answers. No matter who the president is, no matter what party's in charge, no matter who the press secretary is, it's pointless. So Lawrence actually said it was fine. There's no reason for them to have these things. There's no reason for them to have these things. They're, they're ridiculous. You don't get any real answers. There's no real new information given. It's all spin. And to prove that, you look at Jean-Pierre and the answers she gives. And it's the same circular answers over and over again. How many times has she said about the documents that Joe Biden takes classified documents very seriously? To uh, It could be eight different types of questions regarding the documents. And her answer is always the same ridiculous going around in circles answers. Robotic answer of Joe Biden takes documents very seriously. Okay. How many times are you going to say that? And plus the facts, what happened is after a while, people just think they know you're lying to them, right? They just know you're lying to them. Yes, as Lauren said, it's a totally, it's a, it's a game of lying to begin with, but this is like over the top. Well, if he took these classified documents seriously, they wouldn't have ended up in at least three different places six years later. It, it, it makes no sense. If you take, let me put it this way. If you take your record collection, I'm going to show my age here. Okay, let's say CD collection, uh, a movie collection. Seriously, you, even even a movie collection or a record collection or photo albums, you don't put them in the frigging garage to get wet and musty next to your Corvette. Even something like that, you will put in, 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 a, in a more secure location. This guy didn't even take classified documents as seriously as many people take their record collection. So stop giving the same ridiculous answer over and over again. And then stop saying things like, oh, you have to go to the feds for that. You have to go to the FBI for that. You got to go to here for that. No, that, that's what – just stop doing the press conferences the way the Trump administration stopped doing them. You're not giving any real answers. You're going around in circles. You need to read out of a book of lies. And I understand it's not her book of lies. It's the book of lies she's given. But she has to keep looking. At least Jen Psaki didn't have to look in her book of lies. She could think she had them in her mind. She memorized them like a good actor. She didn't have to have the script. You know, often actors, when they're first doing a play, especially if they're coming in for someone who's ill, they need to read from a script the first couple of performances. But after that, they, they throw the script away. They don't need it anymore. She, the first week, I said, okay, she, she's new. She needs the script. But she's been doing it ever since. She looks in her book. And you know what questions you're going to get. You know there are, what, two or three, maybe four tops pressing issues, right? There's going to be immigration, right? There's going to be the document thing now. Um, what else is there right now really to talk about? COVID's constant. So you know the issues that are going to be there. You know. You know. There'll be two or three old issues and the new issue, the documents, and you have to – so what do you need to look in your book of lies for all the time? It just looks terrible. It looks terrible. And I'll get to the calls. I'll get to Jameson. I'll get to you in a second. Stay there. Don't go anywhere. I got to finish my opening rant. Then you can talk. Um, so, you know, I'm not being nasty or mean when I say she's an idiot because she is. She looks like a sock puppet, too. She looks like a – she looks – I'm sorry. She looks like someone who I'd see on Sesame Street. She does. And and, and she, she has to go. Look I, look, I don't want the Biden administration to look good. I want it to look bad. But if I'm giving advice – I'd say go to go to press secretary number three. 
You know, go to someone else. Go to the Pentagon guy there. He used to be a general, whatever his name is. You know, go to someone else because she's terrible at her job. No, what she's terrible at lying. I didn't like Jen Psaki because she lied all the time, but she was actually really fucking good at it. She could think on her feet. She got into the thing with Ducey. You know, it was a funny thing. She had personality. There was stuff that, that was there there. It was entertaining, and she knew what she was doing. And because she's a good speaker, MSNBC hired her. Now, of course, that has its own problems. As, you know, she's obviously been was biased. She was, you know, she was biased in favor of MSNBC and the, and the Democratic-owned legacy media all along. Um, but still, she was good. Her, that job description she was good at. You might not like the job. You might not like the answers. You might not like the whole setup. Like Lawrence O'Donnell said, it's useless and pointless and should go. But she was good at it. There's no doubt about it. Even the right, the left, everyone admits she was good at it. Okay? Kristen Jean-Pierre is not good at it. Look, you know what I think about woke hiring or affirmative action hiring. And that's the, that's the only thing I can think of when it comes to Jean-Pierre. Why well, she's black. She's, she, she, she's like the – what is she? The, the, the trifecta of woke affirmative action. She's black, woman, and gay, right? Oh, go. Black, woman, gay, go first. The Democrats love their firsts, right? They love their firsts. And they love their first so much and they're such hypocrites when the Republicans do a second – Remember when they wanted to do the the, 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 the uh, Speaker of the House <laughs> and and Joy Behar and they all went crazy. Joy Reid went nuts saying, oh, my God, they're just picking a black token person like they have the right to talk. Democrats, liberals have the right to talk about token woke hires. Are you kidding me? And that's the only reason I can believe Jean-Pierre is there, because she's a black woman who's gay. That's it. Those are her three qualifications. And you see what happens when you play this game of wokeness or affirmative action. You don't get the birth, the best product. She's not only not the best product. I'd say there are probably 100 people, 200 people around Biden who are better than that. So find someone else. Find someone else who rings maybe one or two woke affirmative action higher bells instead of all three who can actually do the fucking job. Because she's an embarrassment. She's a total fucking embarrassment. I am actually embarrassed, and I like that the Biden administration gets embarrassed. It excites me. I love it. But I, still, it's like, come on, man. Come on, Jack. This is malarkey. Find someone who can do the job, who doesn't have to look into a book to give an answer. When you look into a book to give an answer, it, it's even more obvious you're lying. When you're looking into a script to give an answer, it's almost it's obvious it's a scripted lie that was handed to you earlier in the day. What is this – and it's the same lies. Why can't she memorize them? They don't change. They don't change. And then she gets into these ridiculous spats with reporters who are on their side 99% of the time because they're asking a legitimate question about the hypocrisy that comes down to the hypocrisy of the Democrats going after Trump in August, but now excusing this. Even that's how hypocritical this particular situation is. Even the left DNC-owned legacy media can't avoid that hypocrisy. Even, even, even these reporters from ABC, NBC, they even can't shake that hypocrisy with this issue. So they're asking her some, some basic questions about this thing, and she keeps saying the same things. Joe Biden takes classified documents seriously. You have to go to the federal – you have to go to the FBI for that information. It's ridiculous. You know, and uh, it's 
you know, and, and the idea isn't like just to try to pretend you're tough by getting testy with reporters and saying things like, well, I decide what questions are. I decide what answers I give. I, yes, of course you decide what answers you give, but you don't decide what questions you're given. And you have to be able to give answers that aren't out of a fucking book. I cannot see her lasting more than another month. This, this documents thing has really proven how weak she is, and it's hurting him even more. Once again, I, I, can't, I can't stand the man, so I'm glad it's hurting him, and I'm glad it's hurting his administration and his chances. Well, once again, we'll go into, I, I wish he would run for re-election because I think he's, a, he, he's an easy loss. But I think that, you know, it's, it's, it, he cannot be – I know Biden's totally out of it. I know he's in la-la land, but someone's got to be able to tell him. She's got to go. Now, of course, Democrats have put themselves between that rock and that hard place because, like I said, it will look bad to them or they believe it looks bad to them to fire someone so quickly, so quickly. I think this will be the the quickest firing since Scaramucci, who is a black gay woman. It it would look – it looks bad to them, but they – always put themselves in that awkward situation just as they put themselves in this awkward situation with the documents because they went up to trump they set the president back in the summer and now it's affecting their president if they didn't do that they wouldn't be in this awkward situation now once again if the if they did not make the trump documents thing a big deal which it wasn't no one would even be talking about this now. I guarantee you the only reason people are talking about this is because of what they did back in August to Trump. So they put themselves in their own – they're in their own beds and they got to sleep in it, period. But she's got to go because she's not doing them any good. She's not doing them any good. In fact, everyone who's been around in politics has said that she's probably the worst press secretary in their lives, and she is. She's just – She's awful. Let's go to the callers. Jameson, you're on Let's Be Heard. Hello. How are you? Jameson, are you there? Jameson, hello. Jameson, you have to unmute yourself. If you unmute yourself, you'll be able to talk. You know what? We'll leave you there. We will leave you there, Jameson. And if you figure out how to unmute yourself... There's a button on the bottom left-hand corner of the screen, and you have to hit that and unmute. But we'll leave you there. If you want to, you can come in any moment you want. I don't care. Um, but you know, it's just it's 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 just really pathetic. <clears throat> it's really pathetic, and I think that the Democrats are, are constantly doing this. They're constantly doing this because, and Biden's done it several times when it comes to hiring people, right? Right. He got lucky with Jen Psaki. He wanted a female, but Trump had females. Right. That wasn't a big groundbreaking thing. But then, you know, he has to do the like I said, the, the most he has to do the, the trifecta of wokeness, you know, and he's got Pete Buttigieg, who's another woke hire. He's horrible. Pete Buttigieg is a horrible transportation secretary. Yeah, I'm not the first one to say this, but. You should not know the name of the transportation secretary. If the transportation secretary is doing their job, you should not know their name. The reason why we know the name of the transportation secretary is because he's such horrible at his job. He's so bad at it. He's so bad at it. And there was no reason for Pete Buttigieg to become transportation secretary. There was no reason for a nobody mayor of a town of eight people 
only slightly exaggerating, to be given that job of transportation secretary because he did well in the first primary, because he did well in New Hampshire. So there was no reason for him to get that job. He was a nothing ball. But they gave it to him because he's gay. And how many times did we hear, oh, first openly gay transportation secretary. Oh, uh, uh, uh." that's all they care about. That's all they fucking care about is identity, identity, woke politics, identity, politics, affirmative action, politics. That's all they care about. It's it's part of what we've talked about many times on this show. Virtue signaling. It's virtue signaling. But who gets hurt? The people get hurt. The people get hurt. The masses get hurt. Americans get hurt. That's that's what the problem is. It's not just this. It's not just a silly game that people like myself and others on the right will call out. It's people actually get hurt from it. And that's the biggest problem of this. It really is. You know, but like I said, this is the two-year anniversary of this administration. And uh, we can only envision maybe. Let's all, let's all close our eyes and envision Let's hope the last two years go faster than the first two years. But we can only envision that two years from today, on January 20th of 2025, Ronald DeSantis, Ronald Dion, is that his middle name, Dion, really? Ronald Dion, is it Dion? Okay, Ronald Dion DeSantis will be sworn in as the 47th president of the United States. We can only hope. Let's, 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 let's. Let's mind meld and think about that happening and vision that. And maybe the next two years will go a lot faster than these first two years have gone. Um, it, it's, you know, you hear people in Florida saying that they don't want to let him go. But, you know, that's I don't I don't think people in Florida will vote against him because they want him to stay as, as governor. I don't think they're going to punish him because they want him to stay as uh, as governor. I, I don't I don't think that's going to happen. But they are a little bit selfish. They don't want him to go. You can understand why they don't want him to go. Because look at all the great stuff he's doing in Florida. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I make it a point to talk about Jean-Pierre. And then I don't talk about what she just said earlier. They were talking and she said that Florida currently bans teachers from talking about who they are and who they love. First of all, first of all, your teacher I don't remember my teacher talking about who they are and who they love. I don't believe my teacher coming in and saying, hello, I'm a gay man and I suck my partner's dick every night and I love it. I mean, I love sucking their dick so much. Or I don't remember someone coming in and saying, oh, me and my wife have great sex. We love each other so much. Me and my wife, me and my wife, we go on picnics. We go, who gives a fuck about a teacher's life, personal life? The teacher should not be sharing their personal life their life, their love life and sex life with their fucking kindergartners, you idiot. I mean, are these people insane? Are these people insane? Are they really into their grooming so much? Do they think teachers should be able to talk about that? Teachers should teach. Teach the subject matter. I don't want to hear. I don't want my my son or daughter hearing about the, the teacher's love life or their romance life or their personal life. Who cares? And yet they'll say this. They'll say this. When in California, 
doctors can't actually do their jobs. In California, has banned doctors from telling their patients, giving their learned medical advice on issues such as COVID. They have to give the government line. They have to give Gavin Newsom's memo. Dr. Newsom, Dr. Hair Gel King. So she has the fucking balls, this woman, to say that Florida currently bans teachers from talking about their love life and their personal life. When California is banning doctors from actually doing their jobs. Teachers in Florida aren't banned from doing their jobs. They're not banned from teaching kids the curriculum the way they see fit. Every teacher has a different style. I had a million different teachers. They had a million different styles. They're allowed to have their own style of teaching. Some are dry. Some are funny. Some use comedy. Some get dramatic. Some of they, they can do whatever the fuck they want. No one's stopping them. But here in California, doctors can't do their jobs. They have to give the government line. They have to give the Orwellian government-mandated mantra to their patients when it comes. They can be doctors for 40 years, and they got to listen to Gavin fucking Newsom. That's the hypocrisy of the left. That's the hypocrisy. And of course, it's idiotic. She got that out of a book, too. She doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about. So that's another add-on to Christine jo- to Karine Jean-Pierre's bullshit. <clears throat> and the Biden administration's bullshit. Of course, I believe that's being challenged still. I believe there's so many lawsuits going on. I can't keep track of them. Someone wants me to join a lawsuit in suing the city of San Francisco. I don't know what it is, but I can think of about 20 different things we can sue for. So I'm, I'm all in on that. But I don't know exactly if that lawsuit's still going where they're trying to get that reversed. The unconstitutional edict from Gavin Newsom to to decide what 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 doctors what doctors are allowed to say what doctors are allowed to say only in California would that ever happen only in California would you be able to do that and the people not have a not people end up marching with with like pitchforks to the state capitol Oh, boy. Well, there's more coming out about the uselessness of the of the COVID vaccines, the absolute uselessness of the COVID vaccines. In fact, in in Japan now, I believe they have totally ended COVID-19. I believe Japan has now declared that COVID-19 is basically just the flu now. It's on the same. There's no more emergency. It's on par with the flu, which, of course, is what it always was. It always was that. But those of us who said that two years ago were banned, censored, deleted, and destroyed by the Fauci mafia. But Japan has finally realized that there's nothing they're going to do about it. It might could be, it could be around forever, and they're going to have to deal with it. They got to deal with it. And it's basically a cold. Right. Except now it's a cold. Exactly. So Japan is now finally admitting it. Japan is admitting that they can wear masks forever, highly masked. By the way, Japan, one of the highly masked, highly vaccinated countries in the world. And uh, as they're talking, 
as they have now um, declared that COVID-19 is the flu, it's at the point where cases are actually through the roof. In fact, Ian Miller posted something yesterday, which I was going to read about that, where the cases are, are, are shooting through the roof. Cases of COVID-19, which are basically cases of a cold and the flu, are shooting through the roof, despite all the vaccinations and all the masking. And the same is going for China. But China is still in their ridiculous commie zero COVID mode. But uh, they'll drop that eventually. But yes, Japan has now decided that um, Japan's now decided that it's now mainstream now where you can say this is the flu. Even though, of course, many of us were saying it <clears throat> from day one. From day one. That's how frustrating this is. It really is frustrating when, you know, it really is frustrating when you've said something all along. I know many of us are in the same boat I'm in, right? Well, you've literally said something since since day one. And when you were saying these things, you were called crazy. You were called a conspiracy theorist. And then all of a sudden it becomes the mainstream thing to say, right? Then all of a sudden it becomes, well, yeah, that's fine to say that. That, that, That's acceptable. You're not going to be canceled anymore for saying that. So we are in that position now where it's, it's, it's not, there's, I, I, I should be feeling, we should all be feeling like satisfaction, right? We should all be getting great satisfaction over this, but somehow, There's not a feeling of satisfaction because of all the harm that's been done over the last three years when we were called crazy conspiracy theorists, right? When we were called crazy conspiracy theorists. Oh, it's not how many times are we told by 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 vicious fools like Fauci? Oh, it's not it's not the flu. This isn't the flu. How many times do you hear that from these nut jobs? This isn't the flu. I've gotten the flu and this. Oh, you don't want this. Well, as they're talking and they're, they're tweeting, they're not dead, right? But how many times did you have to hear that? And most of it was fake, by the way. Most of it was fake. Just like they found all those fake accounts that spread fear and hysteria. Those fake accounts where people said, oh, I, you know, I have 20 relatives who died. You know, all this bullshit. And it was all fake. It was all people who were trying to tune up, turn up the fear and hysteria. For various reasons, to push a narrative, to make Democrats, help Democrats win by doing mail-in ballots, by helping Big Farm make a lot of money. Whatever their angle was, you don't know. Their angle could have been psychological. Their angle could have been a power. Their angle could have been about money. You don't know. But we know all this stuff was fake. This was the true fake stuff. We have now, that's what's been proven. This was the true fake stuff. And we were telling the truth. And yet we were the ones who were destroyed. People's careers were destroyed. People's reputations were destroyed by the Fauci mafia. That's why this feeling of vindication now, three years later, is kind of hollow. It's hollow. And of course, then there are those media outlets that I want to strangle the people who write these things that say they make it sound like this is a new revelation. This is or, or wait, new information. And that's what that that walking dead crypt keeper, Barbara Farrar in L.A., 
has said regarding some of this stuff now with, oh, or with the COVID deaths, with the fact that they, there could be, you know, 25 to 50% fewer actual deaths from COVID. She says, oh, the information's changed. The CDC has not changed how we count a COVID death. Nothing's ever, no, it didn't change. They were lying all along. We were telling you how to count COVID deaths. And you were saying, oh, no, like Fauci said, no, no. Fauci said back in May or June of 2020, no, no, we're all conspiracy theorists. He said every COVID death is from COVID. You're a wacky conspiracy Trumper, wacko terrorist. If you say even one of the deaths that are labeled COVID aren't directly from COVID. He said every fucking death on that ticker was directly from COVID-19. He was lying. The, me- the, the, the methodology didn't change because if it changed, why did we know the real methodology before all the experts knew it? Why did we know the methodology three years before all the experts knew it? Were we just lucky? They were lying. They were absolutely lying. And now they've been caught in their lies because there's been such a groundswell now. We never let up. We never let up. It's not just COVID cases, COVID deaths in Japan. Okay, well, Ian Miller shouldn't shouldn't have written it this way, but I know which way he meant. COVID label deaths in Japan have broken previous records. And they once again report a new single day high, despite high vaccination booster rates, and nearly three years of consistent universal masking. And we know in Japan and China, they wore, especially China, they wore masks long before COVID. How much longer will the quote-unquote experts pretend their measures can stop surges? As we've talked about in the show, none of these measures for three years have done anything to stop the trajectory of COVID, to change it. Nothing. It's changed the trajectory of the economy. It's changed the trajectory of the economy for the worse. It's changed the trajectory of our lives for the worst. But it hasn't changed the trajectory of the disease one fucking bit. If we had tied, if we had actually literally tied the hands, got duct tape and tied the hands of these uh, of these morons like Fauci and, and Newsom and Cuomo behind their backs, this thing would have been gone sooner. There would have been fewer deaths Fewer destruction, less economic destruction, therefore fewer deaths. There have been more minority people who would be alive now, thriving. If we had actually taken duct tape and tied their fucking hands behind their backs, they could do absolutely nothing. And just let the flu be the flu. As we always have before. We would be in a better shape now. Hey Daniel, how's your Friday going? Hey, I could I couldn't hear your last question. I just said, "How you going?" That's all. How oh. you doing? How's it? How's it going? Things are going good. Um, good, good, good. I just figured this would be a good time once again to uh, ask listeners to donate to the uh, New Civil Liberties uh, um, Alliance, um, which is the uh, group that's. Um, Handling Jay Bhattacharya, Aaron Cariotis, among, amongst others, um, in their list of plaintiffs uh, against uh, the government in the Missouri versus Biden case. And they've got a number of other cases going. Um, it's, you know, I got to keep, obviously, um, got to keep talking about this. Um, uh, can't, can't let it just, um, and, and it seems just, it seems impossible, at least to people like you and I, that it can. Um, 
that COVID can't just ride off into the sunset. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think that there's going to be some serious repercussions, but to make sure um, we need to start giving to the, the organizations that are doing something, have a great track record of doing something or, or um, making progress and we'll continue to make progress. Um, children's defense, uh, which is the Robert um, Kennedy Jr.'s um, uh, organization as well. They have been having uh, legal successes in New York as, as well against uh, many of the mandates so that's another um, good group to give to um, uh, with respect to, I mean, I, I don't know if they've got a separate legal branch um, in their organization and you can just donate to the legal branch or not. Um, I have no idea, but they have been um, the plaintiffs in a number of, of cases and, and they have, they've hired lawyers to, to um, represent other plaintiffs um, and they are having great successes. So um, yeah, I would say um, put, Put your put your money if you if you feel like donating, um, donate don't donate to the American Civil Liberties Union. They um, they deserted civil liberties, and um, that organization needs to go away. Um, the new Civil Liberties Alliance is um, is hopefully going to um, pick up where uh, ACLU left off about twenty thirty years ago, and. Um, and uh, curious, curious through this, uh, the repercussions of the COVID is stuff as far as um, taking care of the um, the cleanup that needs to be done. And um, yeah, so people, yeah, I just want to encourage people to give there. They, uh, the more, the more they have, the more they can do. And they should give to that, and they should also give to Alex Ball, Alex Baldwin Defense Fund. No, I'm joking. There's no need to give that. There's no need to give to the Alec Baldwin Defense Fund. I don't know. There's, there's enough people out there defending Alec Baldwin. We don't need to worry did about that, Did the movie that, that, that they were shooting, did that, did that ever come out or did they just like put that in the can? Because No, they, they just before, just before the charges came out, they announced they were going to finish the movie. And now with the charges coming out, I don't know what's going to happen. But like two weeks ago, they said, oh, we're going to finish this movie. We're going to go back and start finishing it. I don't know if it was with a different director, a different actor. I don't know. But they were going to finish the movie. And now I, you know, is there any, is there any reason to do that at this point? I don't think there's any reason to do that. I think that's a good rule. If someone dies on a movie set, (laughs) that movie can get scrapped. I don't think you need to finish it, you know, but who knows? But it was a very odd situation. I think the, the 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 husband of the cinematographer who died was going to be the producer because he sued. I don't know. It's some weird thing. You know, it's Hollywood, baby. So it's very bizarre. But uh, I don't know if they're going to finish it now. I mean, I would I would, yeah. I would hardly doubt it. Yeah. I, would, I would I would hardly doubt anyone will ever hire Alec Baldwin again. I mean, regardless well, of how it goes, if he's, yes, if he's not, cer- know, certainly not for any action movies, that's for sure. Well, no, and he's also not exactly like he's not like Tom Cruise. He's not in the prime of his career. He's not a big box office draw anymore. So I don't think it's to this point. Where I don't think people feel the need to hire Alec Baldwin anymore. You know, so it's it's uh, I, I don't I don't I'd be shocked if he gets any more. Look at Kevin Spacey. Where's Kevin Spacey gone? Kevin, yeah, Kevin, what was, he what was, was never Kevin's... convicted of anything. He was found not guilty a couple of times. No one will hire him. Yeah. So. Well, it's it's not like um, it's not like like they're known to give up on grudges in Hollywood easily. Um, I I think there's probably no industry in in the world that holds a grudge longer than Hollywood. 
Uh, but it's usually, yes, that's true. That's true. That's very true, you know. But, and also they like to, they love to virtue signal, right? So when you're in yeah. an industry where it's, it's all, all wrapped about, up, like, it's it, all yeah. about how you look, right? In many different ways, you know, uh, image, image wise, that I, I don't think they would give up that virtue signaling and, and bother hiring somebody who's going to bring them, who's going to sully their, you know, sully them. So it's, it, I, I think it's, I think it's probably over for him, you know, as far as his career goes at this point, you know, and why that's right or not, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's certainly, you know, uh, I tell you one thing, he certainly fucked himself out of going back on SNL as Trump again, because, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know with the, campaign, <laughs> the campaign starting up this year, they would have brought him back on again. Yeah, it's Trump. That's, that's that's never gonna happen. <laughs> no, no, of course, no, 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 no. That's the, not to find somebody else to play Trump now. It's not gonna. It's not gonna be Alec Baldwin. That's and that's a weird situation to be in because everyone knows. Yeah, you know, everyone associates SNL, Alec Baldwin, Trump, and now with a campaign starting, they're gonna have. They're gonna have to cover it. They're gonna have to find someone else to play Trump. So it's gonna be. I think it's gonna they be might. Not, they might not even be able to get away with that because they're going to. The first thing that's going to conjure up in their mind is going to be Alec Baldwin, and that's going to have uh, that's going to have problems in the viewer's mind. That's going to create problems in the viewer's mind. So they may not even be able to get. They may not just have to scrap the whole Trump character from here on forward. Well, that's that's it's, it's certainly a possibility. Yeah, yeah. It's, cer- it's certainly a possibility that they're going to have to, you know, scrap uh, the Trump character. We'll, we'll see yeah, what happens. But it's a, it's amazing with uh, political derangement syndromes, what kind of repercussions, unpredictable repercussions they can have. I mean, when you, when you, when you let, when, when you let your, 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 um, your, 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 when you let your better senses and your better, uh, better instincts just get away from you for the sake, for the, for, get away from you, get out of your control for the sake of politics, all kinds of crazy, um, unpredictable things happen. So yeah, it could be because of their because of their nuttiness, they may have to scrap that that character in, in, entirely, <laughs> which is a really weird thing because I I don't think that SNL would have ever could could have or or, or has ever been in a situation like that where they have to scrap a character <laughs> because of because of because of how much they just let their derangement get because of how much they, they they let their feelings about that character just get so out of hand that it just got so over the top that, um, and and that, you know, it's, 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 it's irretrievable at at this point. I mean, they they just, it's, it's, there's so much that, 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 this Trump derangement syndromes. There's so many ways this is rippled through sort of society. Um, it's, I mean, there's always been this political derangement with, um, with, um, every, every president, you know, no matter what side you're on, left or yeah. right, they, they, people always have this derangement where they, they, they paint the, uh, the, their, um, opposition as being a devilish, as being evil. And, and sometimes they are, I mean, George Bush was one of the most freaking evil presidents that we had. Um, people painted Trump as being evil, but what did Trump do? He kept us out of wars. He, 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 yeah, and Trump's he, arrangement syndrome was so was, was so insane that it actually made a lot of people on the left say how great Bush was. I mean, yeah. that's how crazy they are. 
Yeah. And, and, yes. So, so we're in a we're in a really weird political time. But I don't think you know it, it's it's much like COVID, and it's much like you know many of the other social contagions that are going around. None of this stuff could have happened uh, pre-social media, pre-pre-internet. It just couldn't have happened. This is something um, Aaron Cariotti has has talked about with with respect to COVID. That um, this this whole thing it just wouldn't wouldn't have blown up. There would have probably been no pandemic ever declared if it wasn't for social media. It, uh, it just created this atmosphere of, of social contagion um, that part that was part politically fueled, part hysteria fueled um, because, because of uh, health concerns. Um, but th- th- its amplification just wasn't possible in, in uh, previous decades. It just, there was, the tools weren't there to amplify the hysteria. The tools weren't there to amplify the uh, derangement. Um, and and now we've we're, we're stuck with these, these you know tools what? that we don't you, know how these tools we up, don't really know how to work with. You're bringing up derangement. You bring. Up, I'm going to break your heart. You know. You know what Tom Hanks said? He said, "There's no respect for people who don't wear masks." Uh oh. Oh. Yeah, well, I lost my respect for Tom Hanks early early in the COVID thing. Well, you know, I I was thinking about this the other day, and my my better conspiracy theorist was kicking in after the last three years of all this, and I thought of. Jeez, remember, because I had said, uh, I've said many times in the show that if COVID was as devastating as Steven Spielberg thought it was going to be, that half of his friends, he, you know, half of his friends would have died. Half the people we see on television would be dead. And of course, none of them are. In fact, none of them ever went to the hospital. But um, Tom Hanks, you remember, was the first person, the first celebrity to get COVID. You remember that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's why and I that, said I lost, lost respect for him. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I wonder if that was a bit of a setup. Yeah, I thought it was it was a setup at first, but um, um, but you know he 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 sort of faded away rather than rather than you know sticking around long enough to say hey this really isn't anything to to worry about you know go go back about your business they sort of as it looked like he was trying to um, um, convey that message all of a sudden he disappeared. It's, it's well, as those the me- the media just said uh oh. <laughs> and, well, and he and he allowed them to. He allowed I think they them to wanted to use. Him. To me, they wanted to use a celebrity, right, to get the fear and hysteria going. They wanted to use like one of the top celebrities in the country, like Mister Everyman, right, the yeah. James Stewart of our time, get to get the COVID. If this was James Stewart era, they would have given James Stewart COVID. But what's interesting is that I think they realized that they can only go so far. I mean, they weren't going to kill off people, were they? You know, so so there's nothing after, after Tom Hanks getting COVID. There's not, and he, you know, what, what else are you going to do? The guy, you know, he, they 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 he, they couldn't make him die from it. So that they got the fear and hysteria. They, they got the most out of it they could, you know, from Tom Hanks and his and his wife getting COVID and then having to go into the hospital and a week in the hospital. Then he come, you know. So they made as big no. of a production. They made as big as a big of a production as they could. But yeah, I don't, also, I, don't think he, yeah. I don't think Hank spent any time at all in the hospital, and um, and I think that's why they um, why they disappeared him. He was largely playing the the whole thing down, um, just saying, yeah, you know, I was sick for a while, and now I'm fine. And um, and I think that's that's why the media disappeared him. And and if he had, well, you know, if, maybe I'm, maybe I'm misinterpreting. I thought they I thought they got it in Australia. Didn't they get it in Australia supposedly? I think they did, and then yeah, I think they, I thought they, they were in a hospital in Australia. Maybe not. Maybe just in a hotel. Room. Nah, I think they, I think they, I think they just um, they isolated or something for yeah, a while. Yeah, 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 and and yeah, but but they, 
instead of standing up and doing the, the right thing and just keep on talking and say, hey, it was a big nothing, um, he let the media disappear him. And, and for us, if the media disappears, us, you know, we're disappeared as far as as far as. Well, what uh, makes uh, me think it was kind of a setup is that you didn't you didn't see many celebrities of his stature get it after that. You know, yeah, be, 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 yeah, because because once again, that if for for celebrity, for for the common guys, for for the non celebrities, for us, um, the media disappears us and we're gone from the media. Hanks, Hanks can get his his face back in the media if he wants to, um, and and so he could have if he wanted to got got um got some more media attention and and, and made sure that everyone understood this. This was it was just a you know a big nothing burger for him that that that. Uh, uh, COVID was just a, a, a fairly mild symptoms and, you know, good to go. Um, but um, he allowed the media to disappear. And that's where I lost lost respect for him, for him at that point. Because he could have been a voice for reason. And he, he kind of kind of looked like he was giving an effort in that direction. And then just allowed himself to be a... Well, I, but I, but I, I remember it a little bit differently. I see what you're saying. But I, I remember him playing into the whole game as though it was a script, saying things like, wear your mask... It's serious, wear a mask. And like now, he still says wear a mask. You know, so I, I think that I, 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 I do think he was kind of playing it up as the, you know, he, he was playing up the mainstream narrative of, of it's dangerous, take it seriously, wear your mask. This was well before there were vaccines. If this was yeah, vaccines, that's, that's, he would say get your vaccine, which I think he did anyway, you know, but he was definitely playing up the, he was definitely playing up the six feet of distance, isolation, lockdown where your mask game there's no doubt I think it. yeah I, but I think they did, he didn't start doing that it, 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 my recollection is he didn't start doing that until they they just kind of disappeared him he didn't to me it looked like he wasn't playing the game and and boom he was gone after he wasn't playing the game the only reason he got <laughs> the only reason the media started talking about him again with respect to covid is when he just you know they could essentially put nutty yeah. shit in his mouth you know, it's it's hard to form a strong opinion about what, what Hanks was doing, but any anyway, um, I, lo- I lost uh, quite a bit of respect. Yeah, I want to ask you other, other question. Do you know because you see, Ron DeSantis in one, of his, in one of his more recent comments had said something about welcoming doctors from California to Florida. Have you heard any rumors of doctors moving, of doctors leaving? I'm sure it has, but do you know anything personal about that, where doctors have left California? Well, I, I, I know that my, my ex-wife, who who's an OBGYN, um, was very upset with, with her form, former employee because they were just making life hell. And this was, you know, during COVID, um, they're making their life hell. So he hasn't left the Bay Area, but she left her former employer, a, a large, large employer, uh, Kaiser Permanente, I might mm. say, um, and, um, and went to a, 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 she's working as a hospitalist now. Mm-hmm. Um so she's making uh, le- less money, but less money, but she's um, a lot happier, she says. So there's people that there's a lot of ducks that are very, very unhappy, and they're very, very unhappy for a lot of reasons right now. Um, during They were being asked to, to work a lot more, not, not because of COVID, not because there's more sick people, that Kaiser is just trying to squeeze the hell out of them. And they're asked, being asked to work more for, for essentially no more money, really. And and then this was all happening at a time when COVID was weighing on a lot of the physicians' consciences. Yeah. Um, they're being asked to, to do things that they knew were not ethical, um, that were not moral, and they just said, you know, I can't, I can't stand this. I can't stand the uh, job-related pressure. I can't stand the pressure on my conscience. Um, and and they're leaving. And 
Um, yeah, I have heard uh, from from another number of other physicians um, that um, that friends from medical school that that aren't in California, but are also talking about they're in Democratic um, cities in the in the mid um, Midwest, and they're talking about how happy unhappy they are as well. Um, so it's not just California; it's a lot of blue city unhappiness where, where docs uh, with respect to um, physicians across the country. Yeah, but of course, California is uh, um, the top there because of their. Oh yeah, because AB AB two zero whatever. Yeah, right. Because of, of, of you know of uh, making doctors give their government line when it comes to COVID. You know, basically, basically muzzling doctors where they can't do their job. And I think doctors are getting tired of that shit, and just uh, I think they are realizing there are greener pastures heading east. Yeah, and um, you know. Physicians as a group are they're they're kind of they're 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 more right leaning than people think they are. Um, they're they're more conservative, especially as they age. They they um, quickly they quickly as relative to the rest of the population, they age into conservatism more rapidly. Absolutely, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. And so, you know, no one should be no one should be surprised um, if uh, exodus does start occurring um, out of California um, for for a number of reasons. The final straw being this uh, AB. I always forget the number of, of the uh, legislation that uh, Gruesome um, signed in um, to law. But but that yeah I think that's probably going to be a last straw or near to last straw for uh, for a lot of physicians here and you know what did we have we had over probably it be, be by the end of twenty twenty one we had over six point seven percent of San Francisco's population leave so you know it, it shouldn't be any big surprise if physicians are leaving in the same proportion. Um, it's just they're, they're no different in that respect for wanting to have um, life unencumbered by unnecessary um, uh, mandates and legislation. They're no different than other human beings. So they would um, you'd expect them to be moving at approximately the same rate or higher since they have incomes that allow them and and they have credentials that allow them to, to move around the country more freely. Yep, absolutely. I don't blame them. I don't blame them like everyone else. It makes sense. Everyone else is moving to Florida. Why yes. would be moving to Florida, right? Yes. So imagine what, imagine what uh, San Francisco, for example, is going to look like um, a year from now. Is, oh, of, I don't want to think about it. I don't want yeah, to be there. So we could have, you know, what, what happens if, you know, the doctors and physicians are leaving in numbers greater than the, than the population percentage that is leaving, and we end up with a... Um, city that is less dense in physicians and less dense in good physicians because the better ones and the better paid ones are just you're splitting. They have the resources, and we're so we're sitting here in this this city that's um, crime riven, and um, the, we're not getting good medical care. Um, the, the the only probably the only positive thing that would be happening is that rents would be going down because no one wants to move here. But it's you know it's I I was just uh, out this evening on one of my typical walks walking through North Beach. I expected for Friday night yep. for it to be pretty crowded. You know even even though you know tourism and and Friday nights are, are near what they used to be in San Francisco. I thought it would at least be. Um, 
more busy than usual because uh, Chinese New Year's is, is happening this weekend. And no, not, not, not one bit busier. I mean, this. I, I, I was I was walking back. I went to see a, a movie at the downtown and I was walking back through Union Square, which is one of the biggest tourist areas. You, you mentioned North Beach. That's you, North Beach, Union Square, two of the top tourist areas. And let me tell you, this is nine o'clock at night. Nine o'clock at night on a Friday night, and there was hardly anybody on the streets. Yeah, hardly anybody. And and it's Ch- Chinese New Year's it is is um, on Sunday. You, you would expect that people, you know, be flocking here because you know that's a big deal usually um, in Chinatown. It brings a lot of tourists. You expect, um, but yeah, it's it's dead. It, and, and 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 wow, can you just imagine what this city and this state is going to look like in a year? If we maintain this woke trajectory, um, this is this is going to be horrid. And like I said, the only good thing that's going to be coming out of this is rents dropping and property values dropping. You know, maybe there's a buying opportunity there. Um, uh, you know, if if you believe that uh, it's going to turn around after wokeness implodes um, yeah. and and people start moving back after you know they bury that stinking corp of wokeness um, maybe people start moving back and then you know scoop up some property at uh at, at uh, rock bottom prices and just watch it go up 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 so so there's you know there's there's like i said reciprocity everywhere in the universe is good with bad everywhere and you just you just gotta seek it out and, and uh and look for it to protect yourself and take your and up and make opportunity with it yeah, no doubt about it. Hey, Daniel, thanks for the call. I'm, I'm going to read a couple of articles here. But th- yep. thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Um, staying on the COVID issue, I do want to read an article by our friend Ian Miller, who wrote the book, as I always mention. Um, have to get Ian back on the show. Uh, had him on my podcast a long time ago at the beginning. Um, uh, he wrote a book called Unmasked, which is about the uselessness of masks. Shows much data, much data. When they give you bullshit, that they have data that masks work, they don't. They never show it. And then they'll say, we don't have data, masks don't work. Well, we do. Go to read Ian Miller's book. And this is 18 months of data, 18 months of data showing that masks are useless. But Ian Miller, you know, got pretty popular on Twitter talking about masks and lockdowns and uh, wrote a great book on Amazon. It's on. You can get it. He sold a lot of copies. And now he's writing for OutKick. And he wrote an article about the, uh, the lab leak. Remember the lab leak? As I was speaking about here a few minutes ago, for Daniel, how we are, we were always right about everything, COVID deaths, masks, lockdowns, everything. But we were canceled and censored and deleted and, and our reputations were destroyed by the Fauci mafia. Nothing is more true than experts um, who believed the uh, experts and other people, non-experts, who believed that the COVID could have come from the lab leak. The Wuhan, remember that? The Wuhan, we would, it was so, it was, it was, it was Asian bashing and we were leading to Asians being bashed. Remember there was, remember the left was saying that kind of bullshit just to try to get us to shut up as they always do when they can't, uh, when they can't argue and they don't have arguments. They'll say, yo, you're a domestic terrorist. Shut up. That's a, that's a violent thought. It's a, you're, you're creating violence. You're being a violent person. And they did the same thing with the COVID lab leak, right? They said, oh, we were, we we're promoting Asian bashing. Uh, all that was also bullshit, by the way. There was no real – they made that up, the whole Asian bashing thing during the COVID period, people people blaming Asians for COVID and bashing them. That was all nonsense. That was all bullshit. Notice how it hasn't been even talked about in the last, like, what, two years? But for the first year, they were strong on that, weren't they? They just wanted to shut us up when it came to the Wuhan lab leak. They didn't want us talking about that. 
Well, it turns out, this is from Ian Miller, the possibility of COVID originating from a lab leak was never a conspiracy theory after all. Experts did many inexcusable things during the pandemic, but one of the most infuriating was their almost immediate attempt to shut down debate over the lab leak hypothesis. This likely emanated from the wrong people noticing the bizarre coincidence the virus seemingly started spreading in Wuhan, just a few miles away from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, a research lab dedicated to studying viruses. Tom Cotton, a Republican senator, was one of the first prominent individuals to suggest that lab leak could have been partially responsible. That meant that left-wing experts and media outlets like the Washington Post immediately rushed to label it a debunked conspiracy theory. Except The Intercept recently published newly unredacted emails showing that the same experts seriously believe COVID could have come out of a lab. Scientists like Dr. Fauci and other subject matter uh, experts repeatedly sent messages to each other. During the early days of the pandemic, those messages show that many of them harbored doubts about the possibilities of a natural origin. But of course, it seems that as soon as they realized the implications, they switched positions dramatically. The lab, Fauci was so concerned about the possible implications of a lab leak that if they're concerned of a virus being engineered were confirmed, it should be reported immediately. He should do this very quickly. And if anyone agrees with this concern, they should report it to the appropriate authorities. I would imagine that in the USA, this would be the FBI and in the UK would be MI5, it was M15, he wrote. International experts quickly organized a conference call to discuss and Fauci famously emailed one of his top employees that he would need to speak with him. It is essential that we speak this AM. Keep your cell phone on. You will have tasks today that must be done. Fauci gave an unsatisfactory explanation for his motivations as email during the recent deposition, saying that he wanted to be briefed on the scope of what our collaborations were and the kind of work that we were funding in China. I wanted to know what the nature of that work was, except, of course, that doesn't explain what tasks said employee would be inquired to do. But Fauci is no stranger to deflection when it comes to full and complete explanations for his behavior or statements. Multiple experts in that conference call repeated in writing that they believe the lab leak requires strong consideration. One was described as being 70-30 or 60-40 in favor of an accidental release. Another said he didn't, he couldn't imagine the virus occurring naturally. I just can't figure out how this gets accomplished in nature. It's uh, stunning. Of course, they then wrote in a journal article just over a month later that they didn't believe any type of laboratory-based scenario was possible. That article came about quickly, despite the concerns, thanks in large part to Fauci. This is part of the Fauci mafia. I agree that we really cannot take Ron's suggestions about waiting uh, Fauci email. Like all of us, I do not, not know how this evolved, but given the concerns of so many people and the threat of first, further distortions on social media, it's essential that we move quickly. Jimmy, Jeremy Farrar, another expert, concurred. Critical that responsible, respected scientists and agencies get ahead of the science and the narrative of this and are not reacting to reports which could be very damaging, he wrote. Farrar's last line, implying that it could be very damaging if the lab leak hypothesis was deemed credible, likely explains their change of heart. They didn't want the wrong people starting to wonder if a lab leak, if the lab could have been responsible. Another email from Dutch scientist Ron Fauchier was even more obvious. Lab leak discussion would unnecessarily distract top researchers from their active duties and do unnecessary harm to science in general and science in China in particular, Fauchier said. Uh, Fauchier said. Sounds like Fauci. Fauci and Fauchier. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, instead of telling the truth, which is what they legitimately didn't know what the origins were, they moved to quickly shut down any debate, acknowledging the possibility of a lab leak could have meant additional oversight and maybe even the loss of funding, God forbid. 
That was an untenable outcome. So without any further justification, they dismissed it as a conspiracy theory in order to ensure that the proper channels close ranks around their perspective. And they were right. Media outlets and fact checkers rushed to label anyone who discussed the lab leak hypothesis. They defended Fauci and helped dismiss concerns, all to protect themselves and their field. The Intercept quoted Sergey Pond, a virologist from Temple University, on the unredacted emails. He pointed out they show how poorly conducted their process was. Once they determined the wrong people could believe in the lab leak, it started out being a fairly careful discussion with anomalies being aired out and people saying multiple times there is simply not enough data to resolve this, he said. But at some point, I think there was such strong pressure that they went from let's just wait to get more data to let's publish something that has a very strong opinion favoring one explanation over another without acquiring any new data. David Relman, another expert professor of microbiology, immunology, and medicine at Stanford, agreed. When I first saw it in March of 20, the paper read to me as a conclusion in search of an argument, he said. Among its many problems, it failed to consider in a serious fashion the possibility of an unwitting and unrecognized accidental leak during aggressive efforts to grow coronaviruses from bat and other field samples. It also assumed that researchers in Wuhan have told the world about every virus and every sequence that was in their laboratories in 2019. But these unredacted emails actually provide evidence that the authors considered a few additional lab-associated scenarios early in their discussions, but then they rushed to judgment, and the lab scenarios fell out of favor. Even as government agencies have suggested COVID was most likely due to a lab leak, many of those involved have refused to take any responsibility. Their dismissal shaped the national an international conversation for months, if not years, incorrectly, as it is now almost universally acknowledged. Intellectually, honest people would have apologized for their role and admitted their motivations. But as has been proven over the past few years, there aren't many intellectually honest people in the fields of epidemiology or virology. The unredacted emails reveal what should have been obvious in the beginning. The lab leak was possible, if not likely, explanation for the start of the pandemic. Yet politics and self-protection took over and open debate was crushed by the expert media industrial complex. Like so many other aspects of COVID, Fauci did his best to ensure that he, his methods, and his allies were never questioned. So that's a great article by Ian. And once again, <laughs> this is plays right into what we've been talking about for a long time now, what a lot of the Twitter dumps have shown, which is that they had a particular narrative that they wanted to push, that the Fauci mafia wanted to push. That was part of the big government, big media, big pharma, big tech, and it was all pushed in order to protect them from the consequences of things like this being a, a, a lab leak and not a bat in some uh, open market that they wanted people to believe. It was everything, their narrative, no matter what. And these are doctors and scientists, as is pointed out in this article here, who is supposed to believe in hypothesis and theories and is supposed to work through facts and evidence and research papers in order to get to a conclusion, right? These people had to write these things in order to become doctors, right? They had to write theses. They had to write papers. They knew what the process was. Yet they ignored all of that. They ignored all of that. And all they wanted was their outcome to be the truth. So whatever they had to do to continue to push that narrative, 
to continue to push their point of view and their narrative, they did. And anyone who said, well, wait a minute, maybe we should. Nope, you're out. Anyone who dare question them or said, look, we have evidence. Let's look into this. Let's try to figure out the real facts. No. Not allowed. And they use all of their power and influence to silence people. They use all of their power and influence to silence anyone who dared question their narrative on anything. This article can be written about anything. This is about the leak. This is about how it originated. But it could be about masking. It could be about vaccinations. It could be about the safety, the efficacy, lockdowns, kids not going to school, whatever it may be. It was their narrative and their narrative only. This is what Orwell wrote about. A government, this is like the government state media. State-run media. The state pushes the narrative of the government. And that's it. That's it. Yes, and as Daniel said, the self-censoring was hard to watch too. You know. You're a writer. How are you? How are you? Hey, Mike. I'm good. Thanks. Yourself? But a different avatar. And I know what the hell that was. What is that thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's that, by, that, by that, a British artist called uh, Bob Moran. Is that He's someone really on good. a needle? Is that someone on a, vac- a needle? It's just it's Jacinda Arden with a scrotum out on a Pfizer <laughs> needle. Wish, wishing, wishing the world farewell. That's great. I love it. How's it going? Yeah, all right. Um, I was just curious, actually. I might be interested as well. If, I don't know if you can do it. I'd be interested on Daniel's take on this as well. But um, on this whole lab leak thing, there's, there's a, there's. A, are you familiar with a guy called Jeffrey Sachs? Yes, absolutely. So you, you, you know that he came out a while ago talking about Nord Stream and um, yeah. Uh, and also the lab leak, and he basically said, <clears throat> "Yeah, I think I think the preponderance of evidence is in favour of the lab leak." Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I can't That's... remember whether I mentioned this to you or not before. Uh, did um, did did, I t- did we talk about the content of the report that he did for the Lancet? Uh, I don't think so. We can go into. Go ahead, talk about it more. That's fine. So, Jeff, right. The thing about what's going on here, I think there's there's, there's a bigger picture to, to entertain, right? Um, and there's, there's more, as, as time progresses, there's more factors that drive towards what I think, and, and other people do agree with this, right? So to give it some context, you've, you've got all of this stuff that's going on that you've just been talking about with the whole background um, Fauci emails right, right from early doors, okay? Also, you have you have a woman called Li Men Yang, right? Now, believe it or not, she is um, a Chinese scientist who came out early on, I think around May 2020, okay, so into the beginning of the pandemic, and she appeared on a shitty TV programme on BBC called Loose Women, literally midday, you know, for for mothers and home home women and in it, it was literally a panel of four women talking shit right and they had no place to sort of it, it was not on their programming to be doing anything revelatory right who turns up Li men yang this chinese scientist who has claimed to have fled america fled um china under in exile okay essentially an asylum seeker and had taken asylum somewhere inside the us who then said on this program of all places um 
this is a lab leak, okay, and it's a man-made virus, and I can I can prove why. And one of the first things that she said was that it's got a GP160 AIDS insert on it, which basically couldn't have been uh, in its nucleotides. It couldn't have been um, natural in any way. Okay, now, now I was watching this at the time it happened, right? Um, you know, I, 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 as soon as this came out, I was aware of it. And I was like, okay, how do I process this? This is either nonsense, absolute, total, bizarre propaganda, which is set up and released through this shitty channel in order to actively, immediately um, shut down and humiliate the um, lab leak theory, or she's telling some degree of truth, but it's being deliberately sidelined through a shitty channel, right. a shitty to discredit the nature of it so that it doesn't get the exposure that it deserves. Well, fast forward about a year roughly and everything that she says that was being multiply experimentally um proven and then on top of that you've got other aspects of the nucleotide in the, the in the in, in the vac in the virus that and the furin cleavage site which were totally artificially generated right they were completely man well it was a man-made sequence and, and everything else showed that this is man-made right now come to now and you've got jeffrey sachs <clears throat> who's saying lab leak, you've got these emails going right back to the beginning and you've got more, a load of experimental evidence that shows that this is um, not natural. <clears throat> so therefore the, the, the entire Wuhan pangolin shagda something else bat theory cannot be true. Um, I mean, they've never found the animal vector and they, and I don't think there's any genetic data that proves the animal pathway. Um, so, so the question is, why, um, what, why, and how are they now admitting this? And and um, Jeffrey Sachs. The problem with Jeffrey Sachs is for me is this: he he headed up the Lancet self self appointed um, COVID nineteen um, commission, and that's just published in September. It published its report, and you. I do recommend that you you read it, okay. And even if you can't be asked to read all of it, read the seven page the set the recommendations, or the or the, or the sorry the executive summary. And there's about seven key points on it. Now the first one is that is that it says um, there are two competing theories, and they haven't been bottomed out. One could be that it's a natural occurrence, and the other one is it might be a man-made lab leak. Um, and and it says, you know, and basically it gives equal space to both of those things, although Jeffrey Sachs has come out and said what he said. The second, the, all of the other points, though, and this is the important thing to remember about this. The Lancet, Jeffrey Sachs and all the people associated with that have come out and produced a report that agrees that what the United Nations did, the World Health Organization did, what the Chinese did and everybody doing every bit of lockdown and all of this COVID madness were correct to do it. And they should have done it sooner and harder. That's who Jeffrey Sachs really is, yeah. irrespective of the fact that he's come out and said, oh, it could be a lab leak. Right now, why would you do that? Why would you be the guy who headed up that report that when you read the written material, you actually don't get a sense that it's definitely a lab leak? Okay. And then when you continue to read the article, you believe the COVID narrative because it's telling you everything that the way that this pandemic has been managed has been good. 
It just needed to be harder and faster in the same direction. That's completely out of kilter with what Sachs is saying on right. the team, right? But here's what Sachs is. <clears throat> Jeffrey Sachs is a longstanding um, establishment economist who is embedded in a key position inside the United Nations, who is a key architect of what the United Nations calls the Sustainability Development Goals. And those SDGs are essentially a way of bonding countries into legally binding debt-bound agreements to meet forms of the Agenda 2030 climate change targets spewed out by the United Nations. And he generated that. Mm-hmm. So he, he is no maverick. He is essentially, in my opinion, a wolf in sheep's clothing who has essentially got a different, got a standard WHO, United Nations, almost WEF-like agenda. And he is gaining traction, exposure traction and legitimacy by saying one thing, which is it's probably a lab leak. But what he's actually doing is he's carrying water for the establishment by doing that. And if he comes back around again in the future, he his next circuit may be that he tries to ameliorate or downplay the uh, the attacks on COVID policy, because that's what the COVID-19 Lancet report does. And you'd have thought, hang on, this came out in September. The zeitgeist against COVID is already huge, right? It's already collapsed the narrative. So why would the Lancet take a go out on a limb and produce such a polarizing such a such a bullshit report that actually does not stand up in any way to any of the science that's been produced in the last at least 18 months right it's almost like you're looking at something that is literally 18 months to two years out of date right right and, and jeffrey sachs is a, is a very establishment guy i mean this is a, this is a guy who you know, uh, worked for the Columbia University Earth. He has the Earth. He was the former director of the Earth Institute at Columbia University. Yeah, uh, he, where he worked on sustainable development, economic development, fight to end poverty. Sachs is director for the Center for Sustainable Development at Columbia University. Um, uh, he works for the UN, uh, the United Nations. You know, he's a set of seventeen global. Goals adopted as the UN summit meeting in December 15. From 2001 to 2018, Sachs served as special advisor to the UN Secretary General and held the same. So he, this is not, this is an establishment. I mean, this is an establishment politico guy, you know, who um, obviously exactly, is, yeah. is certainly no, I, I wouldn't call him any kind of independent mm-hmm. maverick, you know. And like you said, the, the whole idea of what he's saying just uh, comes back to the idea of. You know, we should we should lock down harder next time, right? Basically, yeah. we should lock down harder. Yeah. But also, there's now. Who else has said um, something recently that I've forgotten to? I've forgotten now. Um, what's the theory? Okay, when, so when people work on global economic development, they get nervous when I see that, right? Well, yeah, and, and if you look into sustainability development goals, there's an interesting write-up on it on uh, Unlimited Hangout or Mint Press News by Whitney Webb and another uh, writer who point out the mechanism inside social dis- sustainable development goals is essentially to force countries into debt financing arrangements that tie into the World Bank and the IMF, as uh, typical, which are all forms of United uh, USA soft power, right? And essentially, you just become a debt slave as a nation if you go down this road, right? And now that's what Jeffrey Sachs is, is peddling. Murphy said um, something about he did an interview with RFK Jr. Do you know anything about that? Uh, I haven't heard that, to be honest. Okay. Um, 
so I, I would I would you know say that essentially you've got to be careful now because it looks like a load of rats leaving a sinking ship, but there's one other. I, I, for God's sake, I, the most annoying thing is I've got, rambled on for so long. I've forgot my original point. My the key point I wanted to make. But what what the what there's uh, to summarize this badly, and it might come back to me, is that um, the people who are now going to to running towards this COVID lab leak theory. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. It's the it's the admission, it's the Lena Wang statement about how oh in America we've overstated COVID deaths. Right yeah. now in the UK we've had good data, relatively speaking, we've had good data. So we the government was publishing up until relatively recently, they were publishing fairly clear data about the number of people vaccinated and unvaccinated, the number of people getting infected and the number of people who were going into hospital who and their vaccination status. Now, I know a load of people who've done detailed analysis on this and they know the flaws in the data and they know that the government has deliberately manipulated the data to build flaws in to make analysis harder. And then they started shutting down the whole publication of it and saying, we're taking this out, we're taking that out. They've done it all deliberately because they were being watched, they were being found out and the, and the, the lies in the data were being exposed. However, Lena Wen has said for the US now that they've admitted that they overestimated deaths, <clears throat> but she is a complete shill. She is a total narrative shill. The question is, why would you say this? Right. And here's the theory. Here's one of the theories I was looking at. And I think, yeah, this is possible. It's because the next thing that they're going to do, the next part of the narrative is, yeah, we fucked up and we may have overstated it. And so therefore we've erred on the side of caution, but overall, at least we helped to make sure that less people died of COVID and the pandemic wasn't as bad as it could have been, right? As a defense for all of the suckers who are now, whose necks are now moving closer to the chopping block to try to, to try to give them another aspect of defense, which is, you know, it wasn't, I mean, it could have been worse, right? That kind of, that kind of ancillary defense. Well, uh, yeah. another, another theory I've heard, which could make sense too, is that she sees the way the winds are blowing and she wants to, you know, rebuild her reputation. You yeah. Know, she, that, that's another thing. Well, you know, she's hoping for the, you know, she's hoping it's America, you know, short attention span theater. People will forgot what she said for the first two and a half years, right? I think that's what she's hoping for. And supposedly she had this incredible epiphany when her child had to go to school in the mask. Give me a break, you know. Right. I mean, you know, uh, this is this is like Eric. This would be like the same as Eric Fagel Ding realizing that he was an absolute. <laughs> is that how you say thing? I always say, just... say dingaling. That's okay. Yeah, I mean, it's like Eric Fagel Ding one day tweeting out, "Hey, I woke up today and realized I'm an absolutely massive cunt," right? <laughs> If, no, nobody's buying that. It's like Eric, you, you, you were born one, and it was written on your forehead, and you've been seeing that ever since you looked in the mirror, you dick, right? All the damage he's done for three years, it would be worth it to me if he comes out and says he's a cunt. Yeah, I mean, you know, or any of these people, right? So I would just, I, I, the problem for me is, how do you, how do we, actually effectively hold people? To account, I mean, Rochelle Walensky is simply ripe for attack. Pick any um, video of Walensky, and she is completely lying every single time she speaks, right? Of course, yeah. Because what does she say? She says, 
the data that we're looking at right now tells us X. And, and then she lies, which, well, the first bit's a lie, because the data she's looking at doesn't exist because she never tells you what the data is. Right. And the CDC don't publish the data, right? And then she'll make a claim like transmission, infection, safe, effective, did it all lies, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. In, in your system, there must be a way for somebody to sue her for false claims, right? But they're building, they're building defenses through semantics. That, that's all being built now. It's been built for ages, actually, but it's, be, it's being more aggressively built partly through the ma- narrative stream of how you manage language and perception through the narrative stream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's absolutely zero doubt about it. And look, I, I was watching Fox a couple of days ago and they had on Redfield and I shut it off. I'm like, why is Fox putting on Redfield? If Redfield's trying to rebuild his reputation, he's full of shit also. Because we know from Scott Atlas that it was Redfield, the three musketeers were Burks. Fauci and Redfield. And those were the original three musketeers in 2020 who pushed all this shit and got us into all this crap. And he's full of shit. Redfield's as full of shit as Walensky is. But of course, he's going on Fox News now because he's trying to rebuild his reputation. You know, but it's, it's all garbage. We know that, that Atlas said he went there with facts and Redfield, Fauci and Burks didn't care anything about facts. They only cared about their narrative. They didn't have one fact at their fingertips. Not one. So... They're all, they're all trying to do this now. They're all trying to rebuild the reputation. That's all. Well, we can't let them do that, though. We have to, we have to remind people what they are. Yeah, and, and I, I guess one of the ways, I mean, I, I'm glad Daniel, I was listening in from the browser earlier and I heard Daniel sort of reminding to, to, to um, give money to that case. I, yes. I genuinely believe mm-hmm. that, that one of the only things that people should be doing who know what's gone on is to fund the civil civil suits in order to prosecute um, individuals for lying, um, you know, whoever they are. Uh, and you pick, pick, the, pick the highest, pick the highest uh, liability person first. So that would be Fauci and it would be Walensky, who, who basically you can attack because they should have been competent. They claim to be experts and they had data and evidence and they should have been looking at it, right? Those are the people you go after first. And you go after Rachel Maddow a long distant second, you know, because because she'll have much more wriggle room, whereas whereas Walensky won't. But I think people have to consider going down that road. I mean, if everybody threw in a dollar or, you know, five dollars, right, And how many would you need? Uh, Ten million people in the U.S. are definitely pissed off about COVID, right? Five five dollars each. That's a big law case, right, to to take down Walensky. I mean, that's a big law case to take down anyone because, I mean, a $50 million law case is, that's O.J. Simpson sort of scale, isn't it, really? Yes, it is. It is. And, and, and no individual can really compete with that. No, no, no. I mean, look, and the, he's absolutely right. They're, they must be the Children's Defense Fund. They do great work. That's RFK Jr.'s thing, and they do all these lawsuits. And uh, the NCL, there's so many of these places that people can. And you said many times on this show, Gator, what can we d- really do? We have to actually do something, right? We can't just complain. So there's something right there that a lot of people can do. Yeah. You know, that's it, you know. So, uh, Gator, uh, thanks for the call. I really appreciate it. No worries, dude. Take it As always, yes. There is one more thing I wanted to get into, then I'll go into film reviews. But there's one thing. God, this transition is so awkward. This is getting 
this is pretty dark stuff, but I did want to talk about this. Uh, the New York Post wrote about this uh, actually earlier today. And it's a gay couple was charged with molesting their adopted sons and also pimping them out to a pedophile ring. This is tough stuff. And people will wonder why I'm reading this, and I'll tell you why after. A gay couple from Georgia charged with molesting their two adopted sons and using them to record child porn also allegedly pimped them out to members of a local pedophile ring, according to a disturbing new report. A month-long investigation by Town Hall revealed that William Dale Zulluck, 33, and Zachary Jacoby Zulluck, 35, allegedly used social media to prostitute their two elementary-aged sons. William Zulluck, a, a government worker, and Zachary Zulluck, a banker, were indicted in August of 2022 on charges of incest, aggravated sodomy, aggravated child molestation, felony sexual exploitation of children, and felony uh, prostitution of a minor. But the shocking investigation reveals in more detail their sickening abuse the boys suffered. For the first time, it was revealed that the men allegedly pimped out their older sons, who are now 11 and 9 years old, to two other men in a pedophile ring. One of the men, Hunter Clay Lawless, 27, great last name, told investigators that Zachary, whose Instagram bio described him as Papa to our two wonderful boys and an activist, invited him multiple times to take part in sexually abusing the boys, Town Hall reported. However, Lawless claimed he never had physical contact with either child. Lawless also claimed Zachary sent him multiple messages on Snapchat, including one that allegedly read, I'm going to F blank my son tonight, stand by, along with images of himself sexually abusing an 11-year-old. The two men were arrested on charges of soliciting an act of prostitution with an 11-year-old boy. According to the indictment, it's unclear whether Lawless and Armando Vicaro Sanchez had any physical interactions with the boys. The Zulliks, who lived in Oxford, an affluent suburb of Atlanta, adopted the children from a Christian special needs adoption agency. The boys were in the third and fourth grades when their adopted fathers were arrested last summer. Deputies responding to reports that a man was downloading child porn raided the home in Loganville, where they found evidence the pair were engaging in sexually abusive acts and video documenting this abuse, police said at the time. During the raid, William was pulled out of his home naked. The government worker has admitted to forcing one of the sons to perform oral sex on him with the intent to satisfy his own sexual desire, according to a sworn affidavit by the Daily Wire. The husband, his husband admitted sending child uh, sexual abuse material to several people, according to a news outlet. The couple had been active in the local LGBTQ community. Prominent LGBTQ publication Out Magazine reportedly asked to feature their photos on its website, according to the Daily Wire. Town Hall said it spent months reviewing recorded jailhouse calls, court documents, and testimony from a relative who spoke exclusively with the outlet about the extent of their abuse, as well as the faster-than-expected ad uh, adoption process that led to the nightmare. William and Zachary, who have pleaded not guilty, each face over nine, nine life sentences if convicted. Now, people wonder why I read that. Well, yes, because, you know, the argument will be, well, but... You know, many more children are molested by straight people. Absolutely, there's no doubt about that because there are more straight people. So, of course, there's more sexual molestation and, and trafficking among uh, heterosexuals and homosexuals. But the problem is, yes, of course, it's fucked up, Murphy. But uh, the problem is that this is part of this greater thing we've been hearing about more and more, which is child grooming, right? Which is this grooming thing. And the fact that it's now being allowed that children do things like go to drag shows, right? 
It's okay. It's okay to have children watch drag shows. It's okay. That's fine. The child can't drink till they're 21. You know, they can't smoke till they're 18. They can't vote till they're 18. But it's fine to have a 9, 10, 11-year-old go to drag shows in nightclubs. It's ridiculous. And we're seeing a more normalization of this. And the fact that when there are groups out there now called like Gays Against Groomers, and they were actually banned on the former Facebook, the former Twitter, um, Gays Against Groomers. Now, you'd say, why would why would Twitter ban a group called Gays Against Groomers? Well, the left, what they do is they'll say, oh, you're making you're you're, you're bashing you're, you're gay bashing. No, they're not. They're trying to expose. They're trying to expose people who make the gay community look bad. Right. It 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 it, it uh, quietly eat foie gras while speaking. What am I doing, Gator? It sounds like you're trying to quietly eat foie gras toast while speaking. You're rattling your plate. I'm not sure what that means. Is that a British thing? I don't know what that means. I have no idea. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> it it it's just the the point where you can't report on this stuff anymore. And you can't have a group called Gays Against Groomers because you're being homophobic for pointing this stuff out. And that allows these people to get away with these things because they can just simply point and say homophobia, homophobia, homophobia. That's what we're finding much more of now. Oh, the background noise. Is that what it is? I, I, I don't hear anything. I don't hear any background. I don't have anything going on. I don't know what it is. It could be an app thing. But I don't... Uh, I don't, uh, oh, it's an aesthetic thing. I don't know. I can't hear anything. I don't hear anything on my end. Um, but anyway, I'll keep talking. Uh, like you're moving your phone. Maybe that, Maybe I'm moving my phone. Maybe I'm nervous talking about this story. I won't move my phone. Um, but once again, this is, this, is, this is unsettling. But this is the kind of stuff we should be able to talk about, right? We should be able to expose this stuff. And it should, we shouldn't be labeled homophobes. And we're just seeing this, this creeping accepting of this kind of weird behavior around children, right? Of normalizing, talking to children about sex, of normalizing, talking to children about gender identity, of normalizing having children go to drag shows. And it's, the, it's creeping. It's, 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 like, it's like a creep. It's a slow creep towards this indoctrination. And that's the problem. This is something that we didn't experience 10, 15, 20 years ago. This is something that is a very new thing. And once again, the problem is, is that when you point this stuff out, you have groups for everything, right? You have groups against pedophilia. You have groups against this. How many groups are there against the uh, sex trafficking, right? Sex trafficking, right? So a group that has gays against groomers, they are against people who are making their people look bad, the extreme, extreme, extreme minority making the masses look bad. They want to crack down on this, and they are deleted off Twitter. They are called homophobes. They are promoting homophobia, just like the way people who talked about the Wuhan lab leak were supposedly Chinese bashing and causing Chinese people to get bashed here. It's all bullshit. We have to be able to point out evildoers, no matter who they are. And these guys were incredibly evil incredibly incredibly evil and it's and it's and it's disgusting and unfortunately the wokeness the woke agenda is allowing this to happen more often now 
and not go expose not exposing it and allowing it to go on for a long time. Look at these kids were put through this for quite a while. You know, so uh, it, it's very important to remember how how we talk about wokeness as though it's you know comedians talk about it, right? Oh, I can't be a comedian anymore. I can't tell jokes. Like it's 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 so it's like a superficial thing, wokeness. But it's not just a superficial thing. Sometimes it can be. Sometimes it can be something like, oh, that joke offends me, man. You know. But sometimes it goes deeper and deeper to the point where we can't start exposing bad people. We can't talk about uncomfortable issues. And then bad people. And then bad people get away with things. And then bad people get away with things. That's what happens. And so this is what we have to stop. Okay? We have to just stop this wokeness. And that's why when, when, when people come out and say, when mostly on the right come out and say that wokeness is the most dangerous thing to happen, people go, oh, how stupid. Oh, you're overdoing it. No, it is very, very dangerous. I don't know if it's the most dangerous thing, but it's very, very dangerous. Wokeness is, is it's just incredibly dangerous. And we really have to... Uh, at some point, one can only hope it's a, it's a fad. One can only hope it's a fad that, that, that goes away. You know, that's, that's, my, that's my hope and dream, that it's a fad that goes away. But there's one thing. This is my, this is my chance at a, my attempt at a very awkward pivot. There's this one fad that I believe will ever go away, and that is uh, movie going, I hope. I hope we go back to the movies. I hope it doesn't become streaming forever. You know, that's what I hope. It doesn't become streaming forever. But uh, let's see if I can call in. I have to see. I have to call in. Let me see if I. John. 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 Are you there? John, is, is the band ready? John, the band's ready? You know, you guys have been raiding my refrigerator for the last hour and a half. So I'm really hoping that. Uh, you know, you guys are just about just about ready to go. Well, you need another second. You need another second. All right. Well, just let me know when you're ready to go because I need to I need to get you guys in here. Um, okay, so you're just about ready now, John. You, okay, here's here's John. Here's John Williams. Uh, everyone. John, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. John's a good guy. John's a Hollywood lefty. He's a liberal. His boss, Steven Spielberg, a guy he's worked with many times, thought COVID was going to end the world. But John's still good enough to come into my apartment every Friday night, 1230 in the morning here in uh, Saturday morning now here in uh, California, San Francisco, and still play, you know, um, you know, hooray for Hollywood. John, I'm not going to, John, don't worry. I'm not going to say pedophiles, Hollywood. I'm not going to go there. I'm not, I know you thought I was going to go there. Pedophiles, Hollywood. No, I'm not. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about some film review. All right. So it seems like I've been seeing a lot of thrillers lately. Not, not, not standard thrillers, mind you. Not, not your typical horror film thrillers, but very, very unique. In fact, two of the three films, am I reviewing three films? Yeah. 
plus an old film, maybe four, but the three new ones, two of them are from Canada, which is interesting. But uh, the first one is a Canadian film. It's a very, very, I don't know if you can find it anymore, but you'll probably be able to stream it. You'll probably be able to stream it. Um, but this started as like an internet sensation. It was like released, there were like clips of it released on the internet, like on Instagram, and it spread that way. Incredibly low budget, incredibly low fi It's called Skinamarink. And evidently people are saying, what the fuck does Skinamarink mean? I didn't know what it means either. But if you look into the, the terminology Skinamarink, evidently it's a, it's a song. It's a song. You know, like Gator is from UK. They have some weird shit going on in UK. Weird, weird, weird traditions, right? Well, this is like a tradition in Canada, which is, I think, the UK of North America anyway. And uh, they, 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 it's like a song. Evidently, it's like a song kids sing in Canada, right? And it's like, skin them a ring, skin them a dude. I, I, I'd never heard of it. I didn't sing that when I was a kid. How do you spell skin them a ring? S K I N A M. A-R-I-N-K, skin a marink. That's the way you spell it. And uh, it's basically a film that takes place in a house. The whole thing takes place in in the house at night. And uh, children, a couple of children, very young age, like four, four, five years old, six years old, are a boy and a girl are getting ready to go to bed. Yes, that's the way you spell it. They're getting ready to go to bed. And they they say goodnight to their father, and the father says goodnight, and they go to bed. And when they wake up, when they wake up in the middle of the night, they find their father's missing and all the windows and doors in the home are gone. So it basically has become it becomes a house with no windows, no doors, no way in, no way out. And their father somehow has gone missing. And uh, throughout these the next that night and several days, the father never appears. But odd things start happening, like um, visions of a mother who we get the feeling the mother died a long time ago. It's not actually their mother. Because at one point, one of the kids says, I don't want to talk about mom. So we get a feeling that the mother might have died. But there are images of the mother. One of the kids goes upstairs in the bedroom where the father and the mother used to live. And there, there, are, there are images. The whole film takes place almost as though, the way I can explain it visually, like when you wake up in the middle of the night in the dark room and you rub your eyes. And slowly but surely, you can start seeing in the dark. Not totally see, but you can start seeing images. And the whole film is shot that way. The only real light, every once in a while they'll turn a light on in the, in the house, but most of the light comes from a TV set, which is running a cartoon over and over again, which becomes unnerving, by the way. Um, and so that's the kind of visual style. That visual style is putting a lot of people off. This is getting like great reviews and terrible reviews. People say it's the best thing they've ever seen or the worst piece of shit they've ever sat through because it's not a typical – once again, it's about low budget. And the whole thing is shot, like I say, in this very dark visual style where you just see sort of shadows and, and, and parts of an image. And so we see a mother that may have died in the past reemerge. We see all of a sudden a chair is on the ceiling instead of on the floor. All of a sudden the imagery in the house is turned upside down. But the film is really – about a, a mood, a style. It's about giving us enough time for our imaginations to run wild. And our imaginations kind of go in places that are even darker and scarier than the film goes. So once again, there's very little dialogue. Every once in a while, a kid will, one of the kids will say something. Most of the time, it's so, it's so silent, it's so whispered. We need so they use subtitles so we can understand what the children are saying. But these are basically children who are running around, around the house, no parents, no way to get in or out. Um, uh, no outside influences, no one coming to help them. And it's really a film about childhood, like 
childhood nightmares and fears, right? The fear of being alone, the fear of loneliness, uh, the fear of not having a parental figure, um, things that go bump in the night, nightmares. And if you, if you stick with the film, it's worth it. There's great payoffs throughout the film, especially towards the end of the film. If you stick with it, a lot of people won't because a lot of people halfway through are going to say, I've had enough of not being able to see anything clearly. I don't know what's going on. There's no dialogue. It's very slow. But if you stick with it, if you have the patience to stick with it, I think this film just has a lot of pleasures. And a lot of it comes from, like I said, those very dark places that you might go to when you're a child and you're alone and the fears you might have as a child, the fears of what might be under the bed, right? We always had that. We had we all had some of these similar fears of not knowing what's in the house, not knowing what's around the corner, not knowing why a door is halfway open, what's wondering what might be in the closet, under the bed. This film really taps into that. In fact, the film is shot in – it's supposed to be 1995, and the filmmaker would have been four years old in 1995, was four years old in 1995. So we know this has to do a lot with the filmmaker's own fears as a as a child, as a children are the age the filmmaker would have been in 1995. So it's called Skin of Marink. If you can find it, it's actually, I think this works better on a small screen. I know usually I talk about the big screen, but I think this works better on a small screen than the big screen. This is the kind of film that you want to watch, like you wake up, you're sleeping on your couch, and you wake up at two in the morning, you turn the TV set on, and there it is, with no lights on. That This is this is the film, that's how you really want to see this film. So I, I like Skin and Rink, and I, I think it's one of those films where the more you think about it after you see it, the better it gets. But like I said, you have to have the patience to get at least halfway through it without tuning out. So that's that's uh, uh, Skin and Marink. Are we getting, is, am I getting a question from Gator? Could be describing the majority content of Pornhub. Is that, oh, no, let me tell you, Gator, the Pornhub stuff is pretty high quality these days, right? I don't know, but um, it's uh, – I'm talking about a film about two kids. You go to Pornhub? What are you, sick freak, you? No, anyway. Um, so that is – I also saw – I'll get to the two new films, but uh, I also saw Deliverance because I, I go to something called the Alamo. I don't know if you have an Alamo movie theater near you. It's Alamo Draft House, but they it's a movie theater where they serve food, Right. They serve food. It's great. And they have drinks. They have alcohol. They have milkshake. They have a million different you know, pizzas and sandwiches and everything you might want. You could spend $100 on food, but real food, not, not, not crappy movie food. And, uh, and they play old films from time to time. And so I saw Deliverance. I really – by the way, it's the 50th – that's 5-0. It's the 5-0, 50th. Deliverance was released a half a century ago. I cannot believe this. This is like shocking to me. You know, um, but anyway, it's from 1972, Deliverance, and I think it's the first time I have seen it on a big screen. I've seen it several times on a small screen, and it's really worth seeing. You know, if you remember the film about uh, the, these guys from the city, Atlanta, uh, ja uh, um, John Voight, and you have uh, uh, Burt Reynolds in like the prime of his career, and uh, Ronnie Cox and uh, 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 Ned Beatty in his de debut. You remember that? We all know. A couple of the iconic scenes from Deliverance, right? The dueling banjo scene, the the Ned Beatty rape scene, where, you know, squeak like a pig. We we've seen those, but this film is really about, and I, I hate to say it's very it's a green film, but it's like maybe a, it's it's like an environmental film before 
there were actually environmental films. And it's kind of about the backwoods area of Georgia when it was really before man got there and started to destroy it and started to build everything and they build a dam. And of course, we know it would all be destroyed eventually. And I never saw Deliverance this way, but on the big screen, it plays this way, which is that the things that are happening to these city guys who think they're going to master the wilderness, they think they're going to master that river, right? You've seen those great canoe scenes where they go down the river. Very incredibly well shot, Vilmo Sigmund, John Borman directed it. And the, the, the whole, that whole outdoors area becomes darker and darker and darker as the film goes on. But it's mostly about how these local people, and remember, it's only two guys. There's always this argument of deliverance that it makes the Southern people look like backwoods inbreds, but it's really just two bad guys. If you look at all the other Southern characters in the film, they're all good people. They're all good people who do what they say they're going to do. In fact, at the end, the family feeds them and helps them out. So it's really just those two guys, the two main bad guys who cause all these problems. And uh, and basically, but it is basically about almost like it's almost like the environment, the back with the, the, the these, this, this, this area fighting back a last gasp to prevent the city folk, to prevent the city government from from taking over and destroying nature. And if you look at it that way, it's really profound. It's much more profound than any of the shitty, superficial environmental films that are made these days. But it's also about, you know, masculinity and the idea of, you know, fighting back taking a stand, um, the, the primal nature of us, of, of wanting revenge when something bad happens to us or our friends. And I think it's just a, a great film with great performances. I recommend seeing Deliverance again. If you can see it on the big screen, you should, because it's really beautifully shot film. Okay, um, so I saw that. Uh, and in fact, next week I'm going to see Taxi Driver on that big screen. So we'll, we'll uh, you know, talk about that. Also, uh, Alice, darling. No, I'm not saying hello to someone who I'm not saying hello to a woman who just walked into the room. That's the name of the movie. Alice, darling. And this, this starts Anna Kendrick. Um, and it, she's a, a young woman who's in a relationship with this real passive aggressive asshole. Doesn't physically harm her. Doesn't do anything physically to her, but just a very passive aggressive kind of like uh, artist type. Uh, who is very insecure and puts her down any way he can and just makes her feel uh, makes her feel worthless to the point of where she's got incredible anxiety. You know, she has an eating disorder because he tells her she's getting fat. You know, she pulls her hair out, incredible anxiety attacks. And uh, at one point, the main part of the film, she goes to a cabin. This is also shot in Toronto, Ontario. Uh, and, and she goes to a cabin with her friends just to get away for the week. But her, her boyfriend is so insecure that she really can't tell him that she's going away with friends because he feels that she should be there all the time for him. She should never leave him. It hurts his art. It hurts his, it hurts his manhood, his masculinity when she leaves him. So she's afraid to tell him that she's going away with her friends, which is crazy. So she tells him she's going on a business trip. And instead, she goes away with her friends to the cabin. And her friends realize as they as as the week goes along that she's in this horrible relationship, which is causing her great anxiety and distress and that she really needs to get out of it. Um, and as the film's going along and we know that the guy is very passive aggressive and as we learn more about their toxic relationship, and when he finally finds out through emails that he goes in her email and finds out that she lied to him 
and that she went on this trip instead of to uh, a job in Minnesota, we begin to feel as the audience that the film's going to go in a direction where he's going to come there and do something horrible to all of them, right? So I'm not going to give away what happens because I, I don't want to do that. But that's the feeling, the impending feeling of doom that we have. And it's the same feeling that the Anna Kendrick character has, that at any moment he's going to show up and cause a lot of havoc, probably violence. We've seen movies like this before, right? We had the crazy wife or the what, what you have. You've had Fatal Attraction. You have film about crazy, obsessive men. You know, what is that? Uh, like Pacific Heights. And we've seen so many films like that, that we expect this film to go in that direction. Once again, I'm going to say it plays with our expectations. It also plays with our expectations that women in film and in life are always victimized, right? They're going to be they're, they're going to be physically victimized. It plays into that also. There's a lot of what you call red Hitchcock would love it. There's a lot of red herrings, um, uh, including an axe that we think is going to be used in in one way and it's used in a very different way than we expect it to be used. But one of the great things about the film is we feel her anxiety. The film is really about the psychological torture, the psychological damage of, of passive aggressiveness, really, and and insecure masculinity. And Kendrick is so great in this film that she makes us feel all of that anxiety, all of that tension, and all of that trepidation that something bad is about to happen. And the film takes us in a different direction, in directions you would not expect. It's also a great film about friendship, her and her two friends that she's at uh, the cabin with and the way they uh, are able to get her to a better place. So when you watch the trailer for this film, you're going to think it's a standard thriller, which I think they want you to believe it is. It's not. It's more of a character study. It's more of a psychological thriller where I'd say there's really not the kind of violence you would expect in a film like this. It really plays to our expectations pretty well. And her performance keeps us just, you know, totally on the edge the whole time. Uh, she's a really good actress, Anna Kendrick. We don't see enough of her. We don't see enough of her. Who's this directed by? I want to make Mary, Mary Nighy. Yeah, she directed it. So you got Anna Kendrick, uh, uh, Catherine Horn, Charlie Cernak, uh, and a great cast. They're all good. It's really just a cast of, of four people. It's, it's, it's her, her two friends, and, and, her, and her passive-aggressive asshole, asshole boyfriend. So Alice Darling is good. If you want one of these really tense, really tense, short, it's really short and tense, and there are no wasted scenes, you know, uh, psychological uh, thriller, then I, I definitely recommend uh, Alice Darling. Okay, one more, one more. I'm sorry I'm being long-winded tonight, but I saw a lot this week because I have no life. So, and I share my lack of life with you. I hope you hope you appreciate that. Uh, another film. This one actually is really good, really good, and this is called Missing. And if you've seen the trailers for this, this is the one where it's a, 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 a 18-year-old girl who is at home, and she's really like most teenagers these days. She's really into the internet, right? She loves social media. She's on Instagram. She's, she's a, an expert when it comes to social media and Venmo and all that stuff. All these things that we talk about teenagers being into so much these days that we worry about this generation in the future. Well, she's left at home 
and her mother and her mother's new boyfriend, we find out early on that her father has passed. And when she was a young girl and she misses her father very much. And her mother's new boyfriend is this Asian guy who they met online on some online dating site. And they're going to Cartagena, Colombia on a weekend vacation together and a week vacation together. And the girl's being left at home to her own devices. And uh, that's the whole setup for the film. And the mother tells her on a certain day, she's going to come back. She needs them to pick him up at the airport. Fine. And of course, we know as soon as the mother leaves, there's going to be a huge party. And the girl Venmo's her friend money and they get liquor and they have a huge party at her house. And we see the party scenes and having a great time with her mother not being there. And of course, this, a, most of the film is actually shot looking at a computer. And the, the, uh, uh, what, we, what we're seeing the action through is the, is the camera on the computer. So we see a lot of the action through the camera on this girl's computer. Um, and also all the action she's doing as she's looking things up on the internet, sending Venmo to friends, looking for this, that. She's so good at it, as most teenagers are these days. Much better knowing much more about their internet than their parents. And there's actually a joke made about her, her mother's always asking Siri to do everything that she doesn't need Siri to do. So anyway, um, the setup, once again, is that the mother's going on vacation with this guy. She doesn't really like the new guy. The daughter doesn't really like the new guy, but she deals with her and they go on this vacation. And what happens is the day her mother's supposed to come back, she doesn't. And she doesn't know what happened to her mother. She doesn't know what happened to this new boyfriend. They just simply disappear. They never make it home. So the film was about this girl trying to find out what happened to her mother. And like I say, most of it takes place with the girl searching on the Internet, trying things like trying to get into mother's email account, trying to get into mother's basically Tinder account, trying to learn more about their relationship, trying to find out what happened. She contacts uh, a guy who's a task rabbit in, in, in Cartagena, trying to uh, get him to do tasks for her to try to find out what goes on, trying to find out where they last were, trying to find video cameras. So it's a really multimedia thing where we're seeing all the stuff going on on the Internet, searches, Google searches, uh, uh, camera, you know, searches of cameras. She tries to find cameras that were public cameras in Cartagena, try to find out if she could see them at all and see what may have happened. And it really builds up to the, in this, to this, become this incredible mystery film, this incredible thriller about what happened. And the film goes in a million different, there's a million different twists and turns. I mean, M. Night Shyamalan would be jealous of how many twists and turns you never you think you know the film is going in a certain direction it stops it goes in a different direction but it all makes sense and it all makes the film better it's not one of those films where it it's uh, trying to cheat you it's it it, it 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 makes perfect sense and what it the reason reason why it works is this girl is so resourceful and it's actually refreshing to see a film that doesn't present that age group as being total morons and once again, it defies her expectations because we're expecting, you know, at the beginning, all this girl cares about is her mother's gone and she can go have this party, right? But she becomes incredibly resourceful. We see how that age group, someone of that age group, really knows how to use the internet and actually can do better research, better investigation than the police can do, right? Than the, than, than the embassies can do. We also see the embassy getting involved in it. But none of them, neither the police nor the embassy, do as good a job as she does as finding out the mystery to what happened to her mother. Like I said, the film, another film, Hitchcock, this is the film Hitchcock would have made now. If Hitchcock was, let's say, 30 years old and growing up now making movies, this is the kind of movie he would have made. It has incredibly good red herrings where 
it, it uh, fools us that it's going to go in one direction and it goes in a totally different direction. And the whole idea, the reason why it works is the actress, the actress, Mia Long, well, that's the mother. She, Mia Long is great as the mother. But the, um, the actress who plays the, uh, the young girl is, is fantastic. And she is very resourceful. Her name is Storm Reed. Great name. Storm Reed. I've never seen her before. And we believe her because she's such an intelligent actress that we believe that her character is smart enough and resourceful enough to be able to find out all of this stuff basically simply by using the Internet and social media. So it really is. I'd say, yes, it's a film for the younger generation, but it's also the kind of film that makes sense to be made these days. Right. And it really gives a, a more positive outlook for this generation that maybe, just maybe, at least from this filmmaker's point of view, this might be a very intelligent, resourceful generation that uh, th through, the, th through the advances that we have now, social media and such, maybe, just maybe, 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 they'll be smart enough to be able to carry that off into, into real life in the future. Uh, it's just, but it's also a really great thriller. You never know where it's going. Uh, and you never feel like it's cheating you. It really plays like a modern day Hitchcock film. Uh, I, I truly recommend Missing um, if you like those kinds of films. So, Alice Darling, Missing, Skinnamarink, Deliverance. It was a good week at the movies, even though it was another shitty week in the country. Anyway, um, did Gator have a. Oh, Pornhub, right. And I, I'm not doing any Pornhub reviews, Gator. So that, I'm not getting into that. That I'm not. That I'm not. I'm not doing unless unless there's big money in it. There's money in it, Gator. Hey, there's money in doing Pornhub reviews. There's money in doing Pornhub reviews. <laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I'll go in that direction. Uh, do you think? Hold on a second. Do you think we can find John? John, can you come? Can, John, do you mind playing me out? John, okay. There you go. Thanks, John. Thanks. Have a good weekend. All right. Anyway, uh, the name of this show is in Let's Be Heard. It airs Monday night through Friday night. I only do film reviews on Friday night, but it is, it is Monday night through Friday night, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. London time. I want everyone to have a great weekend. Great weekend. And once again, I'm Micah Chopley reminding you that your influence counts. Use it.